in God's presence, and I love this verse, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. One of the interesting definitions for this word vain in Psalm 127 that we see repeated two or three times is the idea that that, that vain means a deceit or lie or a falsehood. And the reason that's interesting is, you know, the idea that, you know, here is this endeavor and it is full of godless promises. This will make you rich. Therefore, you will be satisfied. This will make you famous. Therefore, therefore, you will be satisfied with all of the attention and all of the likes on the socials and everything like that. And it may very well make you rich. This, this endeavor that you're setting out on, it may very well make you rich. Building houses, especially in Niceville, will make you rich. It may make you famous. There's no doubt if you have a certain talent and you're on a certain stage in a certain moment with a certain right lighting and the certain crowd and everything like that, you might become a YouTube superstar overnight. But it will not satisfy your soul. Satisfaction of the soul only takes place in the presence of the Lord. You say, what do you mean by that? It just said that there's fullness of joy. What about three-quarter joy? Won't that satisfy my soul? And the answer is no. Our souls were meant and made to be things that are completely satisfied. And that's why it says in Psalm 107, verse 9, for he, God, satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And so godless endeavors are not only vain because of the dishonor they bring to the Lord, and they do, but for the dishonor they bring to your desires. Think about that. You are bringing dishonor to your own desires by pursuing after secondary things. If you know the Lord, then you desire the Lord, and when you desire the Lord, you desire the best. Don't be a Demas. You say, what's, what's a Demas? Sounds like a skin condition. No. Demas was one of Paul's companions mentioned in Colossians and in Philemon. So he's kind of one of the guys that are in Paul's inner circle. And then there's this last mention of him in 2 Timothy, which we think is Paul's last letter. In 2 Timothy 4, where Paul says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas dishonored his desires with an affection for the world, and the last record of him in human history is that he was a deserter of the faith. He decided at some point to pursue the vanity or the false promises or the lies of godless endeavors. The point number two is this. The Lord's success does not negate personal responsibility. Again, in verse one, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Notice that verse one does not say, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Therefore, Mr. Builder, kick back, relax, and watch the house just show up. God doesn't tell the watchman to go ahead and sleep for a living because he's got this. No, God, God uses means to accomplish his purposes. And, and this is all over the scriptures. 
Even in some of the biggest miraculous moments in the Bible, you still see kind of an expectation sometimes from the Lord for people to act. And so I think it's in your notes, Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 10. We have this wonderful story of the, of the fishes, you know, of the, of the fishing situation, kind of the calling of Peter and the other apostles. And so starting in verse 4, it says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, and you can kind of hear the whining. Every time you see this in, you know, uh, in, the, in the portrayals, usually, you know, Peter is speaking with an English accent for some reason, but, but he says, you know, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners and the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So who caused the fish to come to the boat and get into the net? Now, here's that Sunday school answer. Ready? Very good. That's the right answer in this case. The miracle would not have been, would not have been possible without Jesus. But who put out the nets and brought the fish into the boats? The apostles, at the command of the Lord, they did this, but they still were taking part in this situation. And then Peter's reaction and Jesus' reply in verses 8 through 10, it says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter knew then who he was in the presence of. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And then verse 10, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Now we know from scripture that it's the Lord who brings men much like he brought the fish. Currently kind of flipping through John and John 6 is all over that. But, but who brings the men into the proverbial boat? According to Jesus, Peter and the apostles. Jesus didn't say, just kind of chill out, Peter, kind of relax a little bit here. I'm going to bring a few thousand people in your direction. All you have to do is just, you know, nothing. No, he says, you will catch men. So it is Christ, it is the Lord who does bring them in. It is the Lord who causes them to respond to the gospel, but it is Peter and the apostles who play a part in sharing the gospel with these men and bringing them into the boat, AKA the church. So Jesus didn't tell the apostles and disciples, you guys relax, I'm gonna draw, catch, clean, and cook the church, so to speak. No, he gave the great commission to his disciples. And they play a part in acting here. So God uses miracles, no doubt, but he also uses means to bring about his purposes. He does call us to build. He does call us to watch. He, he does call us to be about the jobs and employment and tasks that he has set before us. But point number three says this, wisdom and faith are needed to live this way. We are to be diligent about the work God has for us. But if our diligence is not tempered by faith and determined through wisdom, then 
even an over-the-top devotion to godly endeavors can be in vain. Think about that. An an over-the-top devotion to godly endeavors can be vain. I can think of uh, the story James Dobson tells, you know, in presenting, I think, Bringing Up Boys, his old book way back in the day. But uh, he said, you know, that he was listening to two boys playing in the backyard. And and one boy said, my dad, you know, takes me to the park and plays baseball. And they're bouncing a ball kind of and everything like that. And the other boy says, well, my dad's a pastor. He plays with other people's kids. You know. And so here's a pastor who's very devoted to godly endeavors, work of the ministry, that sort of thing. And it's in vain. So verse 2, he says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. You might say now, now wait a minute here, didn't you just say that God uses means and so we are to be about the work that he has set before us? And the answer is yes. But just as work is given to us by God, so sleep is also given to us according to verse 2. Therefore, I think in this case, we kind of see a, maybe a, a, a real struggle in the brain here. And so wisdom is needed to determine when we should work and when we should rest. And it's not clear cut like, okay, sun's down, go to sleep. Sometimes the Lord may want us to stay up all night, connect, I mean, committed to something. So maybe you're saying, okay, are you, are you going to give us any wisdom then, pastor? And the answer is No. Just kidding. The answer is yes, but I believe on this one, uh, you know, I believe in this situation, it really requires, and I, and I mean this, it really requires a, a daily crying out to God, asking for wisdom on when to work and when to rest. I don't think it's, you know, all laid out in a perfect schedule or anything like that. But I believe verse 2 gives us kind of a parameter by using this word anxious. Verse 2 says, eating the bread of anxious toil. Now, I don't know if it's possible for for work to be 100% worry-free. How many of you have a worry-free job? Okay, proof positive right there. But I do know that the the more that, that we are able to eat peaceful bread, let's say, the better off we will be. And, and here is where faith is needed. There are, there are legitimate things about a job, for instance, that, that do need to be dealt with. There, there are deadlines. There, there are tasks your boss gives you to accomplish. But there are many other things about the job that really shouldn't cause us as much stress as they do. And here's where faith comes into play. There's no doubt that when verse 2 talks about God giving rest to his beloved, it is for certain referring to the Sabbath. I think that that in this context that that he's really talking about the Sabbath rest. And the Sabbath really in a lot of ways is one big fat invitation from God to his people to trust him. I mean, we don't think of kind of the day-to-day that, that, that centers around kind of the Sabbath rest and, and trying to keep the Sabbath and everything like that. There, there had to have been a real internal struggle in the type A overachieving Jews. There had to be. You know, they, they're, they're sitting there on the Sabbath and they kind of say, I want to be, I'm not, not going to hack away, but he says, I want to be obedient to God, but, but do you know how much work I could get accomplished today? 
I mean, they had, they, you know, they're thinking about, you know, how to get their business ahead, how to, how to sell this, how to do that. You know, don't you realize I could get so much done today? Do you know how much I could get ahead? Do you know what kind of edge I could have over the competition? And I have no doubt that some thought the solution wasn't trust the Lord and maintain your regular work schedule on other days. Nope. They probably thought, if I'm taking this day off, then I'm going to work till midnight on the other nights to catch up. Who needs sleep when you can have success? And so they, they, they are, are they really trusting God by graciously receiving his gift of rest? And the answer is no. Or they're basically just kind of going through the, mo- the motions on a, on a religious day while technically still rejecting God's gift of rest by sacrificing it on the weekdays. So so a good parameter for us, here's the wisdom, a good parameter for us would be something like this. Ask yourself two questions. Question one, do do I work and rest in such a way that it increases my faith in God? It's a good question to ask yourself. Do I do I work and rest in such a way that it increases my faith in God? Or do I work and rest in such a way that it increases my faith in me? So we pray for the wisdom and faith to have a yes question to number one and a no answer to question number two. Final point. What does this have to do with the family? There is definitely a family element to Psalm 127, and, it, and it, as it finishes with talking basically about children, verses 3 through 5, he says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, just a couple of things before we kind of talk about the connection between verses one and two and verses three through five. First of all, children are a blessing. These are important points. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Perhaps you have said a variation of verse three through gritted teeth when you are dealing with your five-year-old. Children are a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. I've done that probably. But all humor aside, the word heritage here, children are heritage from the Lord. Heritage means inheritance, so children are a gift. Verse 3 also says that they are a reward. And though these precious gifts might be more sinner than saints sometimes, let's be careful not to call something that God calls a gift and good a curse. And, and let me just say, kind of expand that challenge to not just as individual parents or, or future parents, but let's also seek to change our culture, which in many ways sees children as a curse or an inconvenience. My wife and I joke and say sometimes, and to our shame in a way, because it applies here, we would like TV children. They kind of show up and play when you want to play, and then all of a sudden they miraculously disappear, you know, or something like that. But that is the world's idea. That is how the culture sees children. That is not what we are to be about. 
Second point. What about this quiverful idea in verse 5? I remember when wondering about this when I was much younger that someone told me the Egyptian quiver had six arrows, but the Hebrew quiver had eight arrows. So you could either have six or eight kids. True story, which is, which is silly when you think about it. I mean, think about the purpose of arrows and everything like that. Think about that. You've got only six to eight arrows in your quiver and you've got a few thousand people coming wanting to kill you. Six to eight arrows is not going to cut it. No, usually in a quiver, you had somewhere between 20 to 30 arrows. And as I look around at our families here, we got a lot of catching up to do. Not even the swans have arrived with that kind of quiver. But what the quiver concept basically means is it's a blessing to have a bunch of kids. Just leave it at that. It's a blessing to have a bunch of kids. It's not a curse. It's not a, you know, thing or, or, you know, or anything like that. It is just a blessing to have a bunch of kids. So what is the connection between verses 1 and 2 and verses 3 through 5? The same pattern of our first three points applies to verses 3 through 5, and therefore they apply to the family. And here's what I mean. Letter number A, just like the building of a house and the safety of a city, so the Lord brings success to the family, okay? Just like the building of a house and the safety of a city, so the Lord is the only one who can bring success to the family. Our text gives one example in in its context, and so in verses four and five it says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Notice it says, Children's, children of one's youth. So in context, we're kind of probably talking about grown children. And, you know, probably more specifically, I would say sons. And notice they are referred to as arrows, which gives the idea of weapons. Now, now, in verse 5, we have a dad kind of facing his enemies at the gate. And we think that these enemies are probably bring, people bringing false accusations or something. And you know that the gate, you know, Book of Ruth, for instance, that the gate was kind of the, the place of governance in a village. It was the place where all the decisions were made and, and, and you know, accusations and other things like that. That's where that happened. And so the men who would be planning on making these false accusations against you would think twice if you had a couple of dozen strapping young men standing with you versus if you were alone. Plus, since we're kind of having an agrarian society thing here, that if these boys were with you, they were probably with you 24-7. And so any kind of false accusations, he was here this after that afternoon or anything like that. No, dad was kind of actually in the field with us to kind of correct any false accusations made against you. So these accusations, these false accusations would float up like balloons and, and your children would be like arrows. Pop, 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 pop. So the blessing of safety comes through the gift of children from the Lord. Letter number B. The, the, the Lord's success towards families does not negate each family member's responsibility to their role. This is really important. 
You might be asking, where do you see roles in verses three through five? Well, it's not blatant by any means, but, but what you have in verse five are grown children who are standing with their parents in what is, all, is for all intents and purposes a village trial. That says to me that these parents did not drop the ball in their parenting. So what are the responsibilities for each family member according to scripture? Well, in the interest of time, let's give just a brief synopsis. Let's look at wives. Wives, you are to love your husbands and your children and your home. You are to be self-controlled. You are to be pure and kind. And this is all according to Titus 2. Okay, short description. Difficult task. Husbands, you are to live with your wives in an understanding way. You are to honor your wives. You are to love them like Christ does the church by giving yourself up for them. And this is according to 1 Peter 3 and Ephesians 5. Again, short description, difficult task. And in the context of our passage this morning, because really we're talking about children and parents. Children, you are to, according to Ephesians 6, obey and honor your parents. Now, listen to me, kids. Obey is pretty easy, right? I mean, do what they say. That's basically what obey means, and so that's, that's pretty clear cut, but what do we mean by honor? Well, Honor, you know, we can spend a lot of time talking about different ways to honor your parents or something like that, but in the interest of time, let me sum it up by telling you honor just means to obey plus. So when you honor your parents, here's, here's a good way of saying it. When you honor your parents, you not only obey them with your actions, but you obey them with your attitudes. No more eye rolls. When they say, take out the trash, you don't walk over the can, grab it, pull it out, and put it on the street. You obeyed. You did. You took out the trash. You did not honor your parents. So obey and honor your parents. And then parents, give them a zillion reasons to honor you. Give them a zillion reasons to honor you. Some, so many parents sometimes take that Ephesians 6 passage and say, yeah. You know, and almost Ephesians 6, 1 is the first verse your child ever memorizes. You know, and, and it's almost like that's, that's, the, that's the kung fu move that, you know, Ephesians 6, 1. Give them a zillion reasons to honor you. And you say, how do you do that? And I would say this. I would say gently but firmly shape the arrows. Gently but firmly shape the arrows. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm sure arrows in the time of Solomon, who is possibly the writer of this psalm or the psalm was for Solomon, but it's 
David Solomon, David, David Solomon kind of thing, but it's probably written by Solomon. But I'm sure the arrows in the time of Solomon were made with the straightest branches they could find. I'm sure they had a particular bush or tree or something that, that made the straightest, straightest things that they could possibly do because an arrow really needs to be straight in order for it to kind of make its mark. But we don't have that luxury as parents. Our children were born with, you know, and, and they were just a bunch of crooked sticks. They really were. Our children were born as a bunch of crooked sticks. And it will take a long time to slowly straighten them out so that we don't damage them. To make sure they, they fly straight and, and swift to, to hit their targets. Because there's a, you know, um, the, I, I, you know the, the, this passage, you know, it talks about this enemy in the gate and, and clearly it's pointing to that contextually and everything like that. But there's a real possibility also that those, those arrows can be just launched as, as an extension of the parents who love the Lord, their desires to try to create love for the Lord wherever else. So it's just kind of a, you're shooting them out as an extension of your desires to, 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 to obey God. You say, well, how do we do that? How do we straighten out the arrows? I mean, my mom used to say, I'll straighten you out. And I don't think that's what, what we're talking about here. Well, I think verse four hints at this. It says, you know, I, I think we ought to take advantage of the moments we have them in our hand. As, verse, as the verse says in verse four, he says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. They are in your hand right now. So as one who, confession time, as one who did not do well with this, I would like to plead with you and say that the most precious thing in your hands right now is not your job. It's not your social standing. It's definitely not your entertainment. It's your kids. Take those precious crooked sticks and gently straighten them out. And this involves time. So if you're away from home a lot with work and everything like that, self-check. They are, they are only in your hands for so long. Now, perhaps as a parent, you're saying straighten them out. I mean, I'm having enough time trying to straighten myself out. And this is true. If we are in Christ, we do have a new nature, but we do have regular struggles with our old nature. We're crooked sticks ourselves in a lot of ways. Which brings us kind of to our final point, which is not only landing of the plane, as we say, you know, at the end of a sermon as a, as a cheeky metaphor of this is going to be the end, but, but I think... Um, this is the place not only of landing of the plane, but this is the place that we all need to land. Because wisdom and faith are the most definitely needed things to live this way. So letter number C, wisdom and faith are needed to live this way. Husbands, 
How you doing in understanding your wife and laying down your me time for us time? Wives, how you doing in loving your husband and, and submitting to your husband and loving your children? How you doing in loving your home or in being self-controlled, pure and kind? Kids, how are you doing in obeying and honoring your parents? And parents, how are you doing with those arrows? You grabbing those arrows and saying, you must be straight right now. Snap. Or the passive parent who says, oh, they'll, they'll straighten out over time. We just have to let that spark of goodness inside of them someday show. And put the crooked stick in the corner and, and be about our day. Now, if your answer to any of these questions that apply to you is stellar, I'm doing great. And let me just say that you're being short-sighted, possibly lying. To land on this and, and to live this way begins with understanding that the plane you are flying will crash and burn without crying out for wisdom first. Sitting there in the plane, it's a specific runway, a place that, that lands for safety, and that safety is straight arrows, peace in the home, Christ in the center of the home, all of those things, this, this blessing that God promises in Psalm 127 for your house. That is the place to land, but it doesn't like, okay, I'll just turn, you know, and just kind of land the plane. I'm a pilot, I got a license, blah, 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 blah. No, I, you know, I've got all these credentials and everything like that. That's not the starting point. The starting point is, I can't land this without your help, oh God. And then also confessing a full reliance on him. Lord, you, you promise family success. I, I don't know how that is possible with all of these crooked sticks, but I will trust you. Help me to do this your way. And then and only then do you grab the controls and by that wisdom and faith, you land the plane. You land the plane. My prayer and desire is that we land the plane. That we see the blessings that God gives us in our homes, and we take advantage of those blessings by not only realizing this success is only from him, but also engaging in whatever God has for us to be a part of that, asking for wisdom, trusting him by faith, and seeing his glory happen in our homes. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your great love for us as sinners. You do not leave us to ourselves as crooked sticks to try to grab other crooked sticks and just try to make perfect straight arrows out of them. And Lord, we understand and know from your word that if we were to attempt to do that through schedule, through religion, through rigid rules and other things, Lord, we know that we would surely 
break those sticks. But Lord, we know also that those sticks left to themselves were not made to stay crooked. So give us wisdom, give us faith, give us all that we need, O oh God, to, to gently but firmly straighten out the, the, those little blessings, that heritage that you have blessed us with. And God, I even pray for our, our, our single folks, our students, even our children who will one day have families. Pray that you will work in their lives in such a way through this message and through your word that they will make commitments that one day when they receive this heritage, this reward of children, that they will not see their children as a curse, but they will see their children as a gift from you and as an opportunity to use those children, not in a, not in a selfish way, but to, to mold and shape those children in such a way that they become an extension of your kingdom spreading around the world and also stay as protectors of the home as well. So we ask that you would just help us to respond in faith to this, Lord, if there is someone here that does not know you as Lord and Savior. And maybe they have a family. and Maybe they have been trying to jump through hoops and, and, and succeed on their own and, and you know, with, with wisdom from the world and with success according to the world's standards. And I pray, oh God, that you will lead them to brokenness and confession of sin and repentance from that way of thinking and that they would see that when you bless the home, oh God, the home is all that it should be. And I pray that they would have a desire in their heart to, to want their home to be that way. Help them to understand that it starts with their confession of sin, finding forgiveness of sin in you, and trusting in you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that that would be true for them today. Let today be the day of salvation for them. And for those of us who may be struggling right now, oh God, we may have laughed when, we, when I said through gritted teeth, children are a blessing from the Lord, because that's us. That, that was us yesterday. That was us this morning as we were trying to mad dash it out the door to church. And, and if we were honest with ourselves, we would say that I have way too often been looking at my children as a curse and, and I, I need to repent. I need to call the things that God calls a blessing, a blessing. And I need to trust in him to, to uh, again, to straighten my children out in the way that they ought to be straightened. And, and therefore, I need wisdom and trust and faith. I pray that you will just grant them that, O oh Lord. We thank you that your precious promises do produce such things, Lord, that they produce hope in us and, and encouragement and strength, but also, Lord, they produce in us a sense of, God, I really need you in order to do this thing well. And so I pray that we will, we will be those kinds of people this morning. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.